Hi, and thank you for listening to Dream 10X Radio, where we interview people attempting to live extraordinary lives. Our twofold purpose is to both direct and inspire people bold enough to do the same. Dream 10X. Face your fears. Hey, Dream 10X, this is your boy JC. I'm sitting here with my lovely, beautiful assistant. <laughs> oh, you're cute. <laughs> my, my life partner. <laughs> Dr. Capel, how you doing, baby? Oh, glorious. I've been playing video games all day. <laughs> yeah, what, what video game are you playing? Um, Witcher 3. What do you play it on? Witcher 3. Yeah, I play it on PlayStation. PlayStation... 4, I think. Do we have a 4? I don't think it's a 4. I think it's a 3. It's a 3? Yeah. Okay. That was a rhetorical question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking you, what do we play on? And I'm correcting you. <laughs> Let me mansplain what <laughs> platform, gaming platform you're using. I get this a lot, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our marriage. Uh, no, <laughs> well, what can you tell me about that game? What would you like to tell me about Witcher? Was it Witcher 3? Witcher 3. It's fantastic. It's totally engrossed me for a year. Yes. And uh, it has amazing graphics. It's a really good story. And having read the books and seen the show. like Books? And it, yeah. There's a game with books? The whole thing started out with books before anything way really? back in the day. You yeah. read the books before you got into it? Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And then I forgot about it, and then all of a sudden I found out there's like video games and all this. I'm like, oh, this is amazing! So I reread the first book recently, uh-huh. and um, then after seeing the show, like the video game, like it just all makes so much more sense. It's a whole world and universe that uh-huh. super fun. So for me, it's like a little escapism and get to play with yeah, swords. Yeah, and- you you tend to really use that as an outlet outlet for re- relaxation. Absolutely, one of them. Yeah. I don't play games, so <laughs> I like that about you, that you're a little bit of a game nerd, because I kind of wish I was like that. Yeah. I just could never get into video games. I don't know why. But like, you liked like Centipede and stuff back in the day. I loved those games back then, but then once we got into 3D, like mm. that kind of, I just have never really liked 3D Watch, watch your lines. Ah! Never really gotten into 3D games for some reason. Hmm. I don't know, and I can't explain why. I like the old school 2D games. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is there something about my brain that's messed up, I guess? Not at all. It's just like old school, like old school stuff. Well, and it makes more sense too. Like the new stuff, it's really hard. I have a really hard time playing some of the new games because there's so many things happening at once and just way too many options versus the old school games like Pac-Man and Centipede. You have, you know your objective. Here's the five moves you can do. Go. Go forth and conquer. So yeah. I think it really trains your brain differently. Yeah, well, I, I can also say the same about like the new augmented reality yeah. and stuff like that. I, I just, no, I don't want it. I don't want any of that stuff in my eyeballs. I, I don't huh. know why. Like, I, it makes me nauseous and it just does not appeal to me. Wow. But that's like the new, that's where new technology is going. It's yeah. Like this whole immersive experience. But I just don't want it. Doesn't speak to you at all. <laughs> no. And speaking of the way technology is going, um, we're start. We're still talking about artificial intelligence in this episode, which uh, I think 
a lot of people think, well, why in the world Dream 10X is talking about artificial intelligence? It doesn't really make sense. And maybe it doesn't, but this is our podcast. And, and uh, I'm kind of driving it, and this is what I'm interested in right now. And these are the kind of the books that I'm, I'm reading at the moment. I'm trying to learn more about the field and where we've come from and where we're going. I'm kind of popping into it sideways from a technical perspective because I am a software engineer. Maybe I'm a little antiquated in my thinking and, and what I like as I just mentioned with gaming and, and augmented reality and some of this other stuff. But I am interested in this, this field of artificial intelligence. One reason is because when cloud, cloud computing came, came along, I really poo-pooed it. I, I did not think that people, that that was gonna take off, that people were gonna be using cloud computing on a daily basis. I thought security concerns were gonna outweigh any of the benefits that you could derive from it. I was totally wrong. Cloud computing is here to stay now. There's obvious reasons why cloud computing is better than having your own data center uh, for a lot of companies, maybe not all companies, but for a lot of companies, it definitely makes sense to, to do things, um, to get up to speed quickly, very quickly, especially if you're a small startup. There is no other option than to go with cloud. It's just a more cost-effective, beneficial way of doing things. I why? realized I just buried my father. <laughs> so back in the <laughs> So back in the day, when um, we we lived in Saudi Arabia, and it was you buried your father. Is that what you <laughs> married? Oh, I thought you said I was like, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> so back in the we lived. In, I grew up in Saudi Arabia, and in the early '80s, when computers had first come out, um, my mom and my sister. Well, my sister was in college. But my mom and I were asking for to get a computer. And my dad said, you know, you don't need a computer. It's just a fad. It's going to go away. <laughs> oh, yeah. So hearing you talk about cloud, it's just a fad. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That's... Well, I mean, I am somebody who works in technology. I love technology. Yeah. I love software. Um, so, But just that to say that even as somebody who works in that field day to day, it's really, it can be difficult to miss what's going to succeed in the mm. technical in a technical space. And um, that that problem just right there is really intriguing to me. Like, how do you know? How yeah. you know someone who's creating new technology and he wants to create something hot that people buy? You know, in a startup environment, how do you know that it's going to be hot? Like, how do you know it's something that's going to take off? It's yeah. really that. I don't know if that's even an art. Uh, maybe there's a lot of luck to it. I'm not sure. Maybe this there is some art there. Um, maybe there is some experience. Timing is definitely key to that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that really intrigues me. So anyway, artificial intelligence is another thing that's kind of come to the foreground recently. And I think a big reason for that is the, pow the computing power that's been brought to bear through cloud computing. Um, and so I just wanted to make sure that, hey, I don't overlook this again. I want to make sure that... Um, this new thing that's that's coming on is this going to be something that sticks around forever or is mm -hmm. it is it i don't know you know what impact is this really going to have because i think that you know uh, digital currency and artificial intelligence in my mind are the two the two big things that we need to keep an eye on mm. and you know um if nothing else make sure that from my perspective make sure my technical skills are up to snuff in these areas but uh uh, by no means do I, is, is that just the minimum of what I'm trying to accomplish? Like, I, I want to be a thought leader in these areas as well. And that's why I'm continuing to read books in this, in the, on this topic. And that's why it pertains to Dream 10X. So that's why I'm talking about it. So 
for this episode, episode 33, and by the way, we committed to 42 episodes, right? Was it 42 or 52? I think it was 52. Was it one 52? per week, one yeah. One per week? Well, we didn't get we didn't get out one per week, but no. okay, 52 episodes. So we're at 33. So we're we're at you know 18 more, and we've satisfied our initial thing. But I would like to try to keep it going. But we'll we'll reassess when we get to 52 because 52 is what we committed to. Um, and so episode 33, we're gonna. Uh, I read a book called A Brief History of Artificial Intelligence by Michael Wooldridge, and I saw this in an article I was reading in the Wall Street Journal about artificial intelligence in it. A lot of artificial intelligence books were referenced in this particular version of the Wall Street Journal that I was reading. And that's where I also uh, got pointed to the Cade Metz book on genius makers that we talked about in episode 31. (laughs) So uh, I, I went out and just bought all those books. Um, I think there was one more book. I don't remember what it is. It's on my bookshelf downstairs. But anyway, A Brief History of Artificial Intelligence by Michael Wooldridge. So this seemed to fit perfectly with kind of my thinking in the area so far. You know, let me let me pick up a book and see, uh, you know, read about what has transpired since, I guess, the 30s, 1930s till now to see kind of the progression of things. And in this book, it was interesting. Um, well, he pointed out and also Cade Metz pointed out that this whole push towards creating this, you know, creating these machines that are artificially intelligent has gone through waves since basically the 1930s, maybe a little bit before. And um, and and in these waves, kind of they they swell, and, and there's a lot of buzz around artificial intelligence, and then they kind of crash on the shore, metaphorically speaking, and then they fizzle out. And um, then another surge of interest in artificial intelligence will come and then people get all excited about it. And, it'll fade. and so now we're in another one of those waves. And I think a big part of the energy behind the current wave has been cloud computing. Yeah. And the ability that we have, um, we a collective humans have been able to create in the space because of the vast amount of uh, CPU and GPU computing power that's been made available to just average Joe, basically somebody with a credit card uh, and infinite amount of storage space uh, can can do cool. Not only those services can be available to somebody with a credit card, but uh, in addition to that, they are creating these these smart models that you can leverage and use on, on other projects that you might want to do, like image recognition and voice recognition and all like that, that kind of thing. When you talked about building the cat, recognizing the cat with the deep lens, I think that was last episode, episode 32. Well, deep lens I didn't use to recognize a cat. That was used to uh, recognize faces. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah, and so I just used an existing model that existed, a facial mm-hmm. recognition model that existed that the, uh, AWS had already created. And I just used that to, and I extended that to do my own little project that I wanted to do. But mm-hmm. it already had the capability to sift through video in real time and, and identify faces in video. Okay. So uh, it was easy for me as a developer to build on these very complex things that had already been provided, these very complex services that already had been provided to me by Amazon. And I could use them because I just gave them a credit card. And so it's easier <laughs> or easier to enhance your learning versus having to like yeah. sneak into IBM and break into their computers. Right. I, I, don't, I don't need to have a PhD in <laughs> yeah. years of, of research in artificial intelligence machine learning to create this model 
to do, to do that facial right that to make that bounding box around faces in the video for me it was already there and I then so then all I had to do was take that that capability and, and I could build something cool on top of that so that open circuit and that open exchange of information is just going to enhance technology and the speed of it that makes yeah, so much sense exactly yeah it's mm -hmm. just moving moving things forward faster yeah so this book really helped me to think about well where are we really going with this where are we really so all these services that these cloud computing companies and other companies are, are developing in the world uh, that, that kind of loosely fall into this realm of artificial intelligence. Like image recognition is not artificial intelligence to me, but yeah. it's definitely a capability that an artificial intelligence would need, right? So we're developing all these capabilities using machine learning that might fall into an overall category of capabilities that artificial intelligence will ultimately need, mm. but they aren't artificial intelligence. Like that in and of itself, an image recognition is not artificial intelligence. Being able to convert text to speech is not artificial intelligence, but it's a component that might be able, might go into a larger artificial intelligence capability. So do you call those things just machine learning? Defining what artificial intelligence is, is the question, right? Anybody could say this is artificial intelligence, and that's what we've done, and that's why there's so much hype around it. Like, oh, we've got artificial intelligence. Look at all this capability that these companies have now that fall into the category of artificial intelligence. But I, in my mind, am pushing back on that because I don't see that as artificial intelligence at all. But I think that question of what is artificial intelligence or... I, I'm seeing this phrase more and more, artificial general intelligence, mm, mm -hmm. more and more it is a very critical question to kind of define what, what that is. And so what I really found fascinating was the uh, first parts of this book. Like uh, it kind of, I read through it, I read through the whole book, but then when I started thinking about what I had just read in these earlier pages, it, it really took me down a rabbit hole of thought. And so I, I really, I, I didn't think about it while I was reading it. But then when I went back to, to say, to, to ponder, okay, how am I going to describe what I read in this book in both a blog post and in audio? And I think when you try to do that, when you try to distill a book down to what you just read, and, and write about it lucidly as well as talk about it lucidly. <laughs> it's really a good exercise to do that, to, to help you assimilate what you read. Dewey! <laughs> it's Dewey's reflection cycle. <laughs> reflection cycle? Yep, Dewey's really? reflection cycle. Tell yep. me more about this. I have never heard this. So what happens is there is a, an event, something that happens that causes disruption of your current habits of being. So for you, in this example, it's the book. You read this book. And then you really think about it and really reflect. So once you've had this, you want to really like intellectualize and ponder and deep dive mm -hmm. and try and define the problem. What does this actually mean? And why is it going against what my current habits are and my current way of thinking, mental models, whatever, you're, mm. whatever that looks like for you? Mm. And then you really kind of trying to form a hypothesis around it. So it sounds mm. like for you, it's the difference between, you know, machine learning and AI and what's the really practical application of that and how do we, where is it going and how does it work? And so you came up with a couple of working hypotheses for it. Mm. And then you reason and test the hypothesis. So with that, I feel like that's part of the blog itself and the podcast is kind of testing mm. yep. your new way of thinking. And then you go to action. So it's a new way of, again, a new mental model or a new um, 
way of believing or being or a new action uh, that you take. So some way it changes you and how you fly. So once we have some sort of disruptive event, we go through that reflection cycle and learn. And so that's a big part of learning is that, that piece. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That, yes, definitely. Um, I, and I'm just starting to, to uh, understand that a little bit more. It's very, so it's very easy for me, well, not very easy, but it's easier for me to write about something I'm pulling out of a book than it is for me to articulate it verbally. Mm -hmm. And I really want to work on my verbal, verbalization talking skills and how I can immediately, because I need to think about things. But a lot of times when you go to speak in front of people, you don't have the time to really sit and think about things. And so for me, that's really hard. Mm -hmm. So yeah, ML versus AI. I think totally we, um, we've, we've been talking about, oh, we've got artificial intelligence coming from machines for so long. Even when uh, back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, when really what we were building were like expert systems, systems that have just a bunch of if statements. If like for, for like, um, in the healthcare area, like trying to figure out what kind of illness a person has and what should be their prescribed um, solution or uh, not solution, but treatment. Treatment. What there should, should be their prescribed treatment. And those were just largely expert systems that you know, if the if the person is coughing and they have blood and you know whatever, uh, this is how you should characterize their problem and this should be what their treatment is. Yeah, so basically those those are ex, what, what we call expert systems yeah. and basically they took the knowledge from a group of humans who were experts in the field, doctors and whatever, mm -hmm. and tried to bake those into com computer rules and computer codes, rud very rudimentary, mm -hmm. you know, very kind of simple. The machine is not actually thinking about that problem on its own or solving it on its own. It's just following a prescribed, it's like a decision Logic tree. Logic model. Yeah, yeah, it's like a huge decision tree. If then, you know, yeah. come here and then spit out a result and a, a treatment. But we were calling that AI back in the day. Oh, this is artificial intelligence. So what, what I'm saying is that we have a very, as a hu humanity, we have very loosely defined definition of what artificial intelligence actually is because machine learning and ai is so integrated and loosely defined is somebody in the industry trying to really define those definitions not that i'm aware of i don't know and, and in fact a loosely a loose definition of artificial intelligence really helps m the marketing uh, of anything in, mm. in the tech field and it, and it helps create buzz and i Part of me is very suspicious of this whole thing because if you recall one of our episodes where we were talking about Moore's Law, the decline of Moore's Law, and how we can no longer fit you know, twice the amount of transistors in a chip anymore, and that we're not going to be doubling the speed of computers every 18 months anymore. That's going to slow down. Mm -hmm. And add to the fact that Taiwan Semiconductor is basically the only game in town for getting new chips. And add to that that COVID has hit and you know there aren't as many people willing to go and make computer chips at Taiwan Semiconductor anymore because of that. You know, the whole world is reliant on this basically this one company to create these computer chips. We've got a problem. We have a global problem with computer chips. And and Moore's law is definitely 
not not going to be a thing much longer moving forward. We the world and and considering considering how much of GDP has been driven by the doubling of computing power every year for for how many years? Like this is a huge global problem. I don't think anybody's really talking about. Mm. And we need some more hype around this to keep pushing the technolo techni technological envelope forward. And I think this, these loose descriptions of artificial intelligence are helping to do that. Um, so I'm on the fence. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Um, Skynet. I, well, no, no, no. I'm just saying, is it a good thing in, or a bad thing in terms of helping to keep driving mm. the tech envelope push that forward because if we lose that there's going to be a lot of wealth loss around mm. the world there's going to be a lot of hurting people i think around the world is what i'm saying okay. maybe i'm totally off base that's just my thinking there um so so i'm on the fence is is loose definition of ai a good thing in terms of helping to keep pushing the technological envelope uh help you know drive people forward to try to innovate start new companies create new jobs or is it a bad thing because we're overhyping something that's not really there? I don't know, but um, I will say that I don't think we have any kind of artificial intelligence to speak of right now. It's it's just machine learning, really, that's providing the really cool benefits um, for these, you know, like we mentioned, facial recognition and language recognition and all that kind of thing. Uh, so adding to that, uh, I thought the beginning of this book was very interesting. Um, so adding to the concept that we don't really have a clear definition of artificial intelligence. And in fact, artificial intelligence using the machinery that we currently have and the math, the language of math that we currently have, maybe none of this is even truly possible if you consider that artificial intelligence is an intelligence that is indiscernible from communication with a human and that's called the Turing test mm. and uh, so so backing up a little bit how this book started it, it mentioned this problem called the Entscheidungsproblem that's my best German for that Entscheidungsproblem that's my <laughs> nine, best nine, nine. <laughs> that's, that's how I pronunciate it as a German and what it means basically is a, is a decision problem mm -hmm. And it goes back to Leibniz, Gottfried Leibniz, and he was one of the co-founders, uh, arguably, of, do you know what I'm talking about? Nope. What about if I mentioned Sir Isaac Newton? Does that ring a bell? Gravity? <laughs> one of the co-founders <laughs> co of calculus. And ah. calculus was just a mathematical language. It's a man-made mathematical language to help describe and explain gravity and nature and stuff like that. And so Leibniz, um, as one of the founders of this mathematical language, was curious, um, you know, it, is the mathematical language that mankind is, is creating, is it sufficient for answering all questions? And I, I really, this, so this really made me think, like, wow, like, uh, this is really good that we should not assume that the mathematics that we that man is creating and that we're learning in school and that we hate so much for the most part is sufficient for describing and explaining all natural phenomena. Maybe it's that. not. Perhaps <laughs> it's not. I mean, in in logically, you would think, well, if it's created by man, it's got to have problems, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's got to be fallible. But 
And so there was a German mathematician in 1928. So Leibniz was 1690. He's way back in the day. Hilbert, David Hilbert, was a German mathematician in 1928. And he asked the question, are there some questions that mathematics cannot answer by following a mathematical recipe? So, you know, mathematical recipe is some pattern that anybody can follow to derive an answer. Like two plus two, you know, Mm -hmm. you take two of this and you take two of that add them together on on your hand and you got four you know um that's a recipe for for taking inputs and deriving an output from and i just love this i just thought this was so fascinating it wasn't clearly stated in this book but as i thought about it and maybe i'm totally wrong i i don't know because it wasn't clearly stated in the book but to me uh, this whole thing is like this whole Entscheidung's problem derived from a, a desire to like prove that the language or to show that at least one aspect of the language that we're creating to describe and explain natural phenomenon is sufficient for understanding all natural phenomena, mm-hmm. everything, including human intelligence. If, if I'm correct in that, in that assessment of what I read, this is really, really powerful. And I, I kind of wish that it was more clearly stated in the book, if that is correct. Because I feel like it was way understated. And then I had to really read between the lines to kind of pull that out of the book. But, but this, this gets to the real issue that we're all wondering in the world today is what is artificial intelligence and can we even make it? Is it even possible for man to make an artificial intelligence? Um... And beyond that, this just goes into so many other things that maybe I'll, I'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but anyway, so um, David Hilbert posed that question. It, 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 are there some things that mathematics cannot answer? And so Turing, Alan Turing, then came along. Uh, I think he was Cambridge, UK in the 1930s. He was a little bit after Hilbert. And he, he was in his... He, so Turing, Alan Turing was a freaking genius. And he was only in his 20s. He was like 24 when he uh, decidedly answered that question. Mm. So Alan Turing, to solve that question of, uh, you know, are there some things that mathematics is there, cannot answer? Is there a decision that, or, that cannot be made decisively is that <laughs> repetitive, through a mathematical recipe? And uh, Turing kind of proved that. I don't understand how what he said was a proof, but... Uh, to, to get to his proof, he mentally described a mathematical computing machine, which is the precursor of the modern computer. Mm-hmm. Um, what if you had this computing machine and you described how it would work using these, this, this tape system that was infinite. It could just go forever and it had a memory and, and all that thing and all that. And he kind of described how the, the computer would work. Would it be able to answer a question about itself? And the answer was, uh, so uh, let me see if I can find the quote. Um, I actually wrote it down. Um, A Turing machine trying to discover another Turing machine creates an unresolved conundrum that would not cause the Turing machine to halt with an answer. And and that word halt kind of stuck out out to me because of halt and catch fire. Mm -hmm. Would it halt and catch fire, you know, if it basically Turing said that... uh, a machine considering question about another Turing machine would result in a never-ending 
questioning loop. It would never arrive at an answer, in other words. But isn't how they, that, that how they teach the machines with, um, so there's supervised learning and then there's unsupervised learning, but isn't how they, that how they teach unsupervised learning? No. No. Now, there are networks, uh, the gener generative adversarial networks who play off of one another yeah. to, to derive a more um, realistic looking image and things like that. That's kind of a what probably a pattern that you're thinking of where you have these yeah. two networks playing off of one another. Yeah, that like, we talked about this, last episode. Yeah. Is this real? Is this image real looking? No. Okay, what if I did this? Is this? No, no, no. You know. Um, I, it's a different question articulate why it's not the same but it's not the same <laughs> I can't mansplain to you why <laughs> thank you for that fabulous feedback <laughs> I, I just am not smart enough to answer that All question alright audience but, members can you post on our sites or on our LinkedIn yeah. the answer to this question <laughs> how is a generative adversarial network different than the Turing machine question, where one Turing machine can't can't discover what another one is. Yeah. So Turing machines were the precursors to our current computers. So we basically took his uh, Alan Turing's concept of a Turing machine, and we we made real hardware that became computers from that that thing. Are are we in effect saying because of what Turing found out that it is impossible? for us to create a sentient intelligence. So I'm, I, it, nowhere in this book did it say that it's not, but I'm kind of, and, and I was a little bit frustrated by that. Like, okay, we've got this Enten Chidung problem and Alan Turing came up with this thing, but nowhere in the book does it say that because Turing showed or, or proved that uh, the machine would never halt with an answer does that mean that artificial intelligence, creating an artificial intelligence, a sentient artificial intelligence, just like a human being is, is that impossible? Mm -hmm. It infers that it's not possible, but it doesn't come out and say it. So anyway, I think this is a very interesting thing at, at a minimum, this Entscheidung's problem, Turing's um, approach to, to answering it, and how it is relevant to... Uh, inferring whether or not artificial intelligence from uh, on a human level is actually possible or not. It seems to infer that it's not. Mm. Um, I have a hard time saying anything is impossible. But it, and, and so in thinking about this and the problems that artif true artificial intelligence might cause in the future, I think the answer to this Entscheidung's problem might be the savior of humanity. Hmm. But I don't, I'm just, just thinking, thinking, these are my thought process. Maybe I'm totally off base, totally possible, but. Saving humanity, how? Because what if we did create these artificial intelligent things, these computers that could think on a human level, but would far and away out, they're going to far, if, if they ever do get to that level, they will far and away outperform our intelligence. And. Part of my thinking is, in order for them to be that powerful in intelligence, they will have to have a human form like C-3PO or some kind of android because they're not going to get that super intelligent just by sifting through all the data on the internet. Because if, if that's all they do, they're going to be stupid, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and maybe just like uh, uh, just 
horny machines, you know, because all that's on the internet for the most part is pornography. So how smart can something really be despite sifting? So it has to interact with the real world. And it has to have a human body or it, it has to have some form that allows it to move in the, in the real world and collect data and interact with humans in order to become a super intelligence. For the most part, yeah. our intelligence is derived from sensory input yeah. and, and how we interpret that and process it. Mm -hmm. um, and another thing I thought about artificial intelligence, if we ever are going to get to that level, are we going to put these artificial intelligent beings into well-nurturing environments so that they have really good parents who care for their upbringing and their learning to make sure that they are well-behaved. Like the movie AI. Yeah. But we're going to need adoptive families for mm -hmm. these so to make sure that they're not learning crazy stuff on the internet and that loving parents are helping these beings, be, you know, uh, with their learning and to make sure that they have morals and they, you know, hitting people is bad, killing people is bad, teaching them the Ten Commandments or whatever. But can't they build that into the software? Can't they build that into the Can model? You? I don't well, know. Well, why couldn't they build it into the model since we're the derivative of the being? So the other aspect of this is if that's true, then people can build whatever they want mm -hmm. into the, and, and we can have just, and, and that's probably going to be the case. And that's why I'm saying that the future, if artificial intelligence is possible, is very bad for humanity because in the end, um, not everybody is going to be, is gonna, not all of these AI are going to have a good upbringing and well-programmed. They're going to be all over the, you know, just like humans. All, yep. Just like humans all over the map. And, um, it's going to be bad. But anyway, uh, kind of segueing with that, there was another concept brought that I wasn't aware of. Um, there was a British evolutionary psychologist named Robin Dunbar, who I guess in the book, he, he shows that he um, discovered that the reasons human brains are bigger than primate brains is because of the social connections that humans can hold in their brain. And apparently the number of social social connections that a human can have is like 150 or something like that. I don't know how they derive that number but so our brains are the, the size they are because of our 150 social connections <laughs> which seems ludicrous to me but that's what this guy said so given that uh, but it does make sense that um, our intelligence took a leap forward because of our ability to navigate political situations and to hold tribes of people together in furtherance of the tribe, but not only furtherance of the tribe, furtherance of individuals' objectives. Uh, I think this is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Like um, the ability to, and, and because, you know, when we were out, when we came out of the trees and we were on open plains trying to survive, the ability to stay warm, light a fire to gather firewood to uh, keep off keep out other animals from from attacking us keep out warring other warring factions from stealing food and whatever from us that required really adept in really adept really adept social skills and um, you know, being able to, to motivate and keep a tribe together to, to help ensure everybody's survival. Mm -hmm. 
And so I'm thinking this is really interesting um, in terms of developing a higher level intelligence um, and especially in terms of uh, social connections and, and, and manipulating those social connections for some end leads to politics. Uh, I think that po you know, politics is a search for power, right? Um, any, anybody who's trying to, to lead a, a team is in search of power in some way. And so that's politics. And politics takes you to war because war is a continuation of politics by other means, right? So these types of things are derived from a higher intelligence. And, and if we're trying to build a higher intelligence like ourselves, we're going to pass those biases on to these smart machines that we're building. And so I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like, um, you know, the, the artificial intelligence that we grew up with in movies like Star Wars and Lost in Space and that kind of thing are, are, are great. I just don't see that as being what we end up developing in the future. <laughs> Bottom line. Is that too negative? Am I being too negative? Not at all. No? Mm -mm. Do you think I'm off base at all with that? Or? I don't know where it's going to end up. No? <laughs> no? So I just go back to this Entscheidung's problem and what Turing found out, and then I'm hoping that you know maybe ultimately a true artificial intelligence is not possible. Maybe we can't ultimately create it. Mm -hmm. um, it's weird to say that about humanity because we seem to be able to do whatever we put our minds to. And there's definitely been all these waves of artificial intelligence. We keep pushing on it. We keep pushing on it. Um, we keep calling the things we're developing artificial intelligence when they, they really aren't, um, like the expert systems and things like that. Um, but, you know, maybe, maybe we figure out, like, maybe we rewrite the rules of some of the math we've created. Maybe we rewrite some of the rules of the, the hardware, the, the computing hardware that we've created, and we actually do it. And if we do, I feel like bad things will result from that ultimately. I, I try to be more positive because I grew up with Star Wars and the positive things like that. But um, well, I Star kinda, wasn't positive. Well, I mean, name a bad robot in Star Wars. I can't think of any. Some robot that was, you know, bad to humans in Star Wars. The garbage the, the, disposal where it was. Uh, <laughs> no, that's not. No, that wasn't. They were all beneficial. They were all like, they were on the sidelines. They weren't controlling anybody. Um, you could argue Darth Vader was a robot, right? Because he wasn't yeah, all. Yeah, but, but he was human. Yeah, so I, I, I think Star Wars is not exemplary of evil robot overlords like Terminator is. Skynet. So, it's all it's about Skynet. Skynet. So I definitely feel. And I, and Black Mirror, a lot of those episodes. Do you? What do you feel like the future is more? What would be a more realistic picture of the future? Skynet or Star Wars? Skynet. Yeah, mm -hmm. I do too. <laughs> Can you articulate why? So C three PO and R two D two were awesome, and I'm a huge Star Wars geek. Yeah. However, the capability of Skynet and the purpose, and when they went through the whole backstory of why it was created and how it was created, mm -hmm. that seems to align more with the way technology goes today and the way human thinking is today. I'll elaborate versus... on that a little bit. What do you mean background? Well, because you know, the different, the uh, Terminator 1, Terminator 2, Terminator 3, they kind of went 
back in time and they like uh-huh. went back to the beginning and they started working with the technology. So it seems more evolutionary uh-huh. based on the way we work uh-huh. versus like Star Wars is so far in the future and so far advanced that it's hard to rationalize the process but in terminator you can actually see the process like, yeah. oh yeah that could totally happen or black yeah. mirror some of those episodes yeah. like yeah that could totally happen huh. like with a robot dog that was chasing people down and hunting them yeah 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 that's really interesting uh, it's kind of sad i think it's a sad commentary commentary on human nature and in the way we think we're and, violent beings and, and, <laughs> and we're we're the ones responsible for building this new technology and our biases is the way we think are going to get yeah. past to this new thing. So, yeah, I, I'm definitely... I... Plus, when you look at like human evolution, we haven't evolved. Technology's evolved like crazy, and we have helped that happen, but we as humans have not evolved in a very long time. What do you mean? So, the Industrial Age kind mm-hmm. of like kicked off how we... Mm-hmm. And then, so we haven't evolved as a society. Like, if you look at the same... The problems, they're the same problems we have today. It's just with technology versus without yeah we still have hunger we still have bias we still have all of these really hard things mm-hmm. and we're still trying to it's always the man versus man man versus nature i actually uh went to the, a really dark place recently thinking about man's desire uh, to progress in some way using slaves <clears throat> and we were at mount vernon this past weekend and George Washington is a venerated founder, founding father of the United States of America. And we have many venerated founding fathers who all used slaves to get us as a nation to where we are today. And it's a very dark truth about America. You know, um, America's great. We have, free, we have a degree of freedom here and we talk about freedom as being one of the core principles of this this nation but it was built on the opposite of freedom yeah <laughs> which is a weird irony yeah and i i think that humanity as a whole tries to progress through various things um whether it's the search for power or whatever using slaves and i think computers are uh, another you know it's great to have computers to automate things that do things that we, that we don't want to do, and um, it's I, like I like I said in the blog post. I want to. I always wanted to have a robot that would clean my room because you know I never wanted to do that myself, and I couldn't talk to anybody else in my family to doing it. We all want things to be done for us that we don't want to have to do ourselves, and and it's even better if these things can get done without us spending a lot of money on. And I. I feel like that's a big part of where we want to go with artificial intelligence and uh, building, and because artificial intelligence isn't going to exist unless they exist in physical form, Mm -hmm. we are going to want to use these as slaves, basically. And maybe that's not a right word to use for a machine, but if it's a sentient machine like a human, we basically created a human we cloned a human in mechanical form mm-hmm. so therefore isn't it a slave and won't it therefore want to become the opposite of a slave and potentially cast us in our own image yeah so and be free a very interesting yeah very yeah. interesting to think about that i, I don't know if that's completely off base but uh i feel like slavery is a big part of uh 
uh, artificial intelligence. Yeah, you know, you're right. From that perspective, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess the thing that got me down thinking bad about that was my visit to Mount Vernon. I, I love Mount Vernon and I, I love our founding fathers, but that's a really dark truth yeah. about the whole thing that you really have to think about. Um, there's so much, 70,000 acres on Mount Vernon. Uh, so much work that had to be done there to make that uh, a livable space that was actually generating income for the families there. There's just no way you could pay enough people to do that. The only way you could do it is with slavery. And uh, it's just a really sad aspect of our our country. And, um, you know, it's deeply rooted in our past, and I'm worried that it's going to be part of our future as well is what I'm saying maybe I'm totally off base there maybe I'm just making stuff up but that's my thought (laughs) any parting thoughts on that am I crazy I don't think you're crazy at all it makes perfect sense given human nature and how we operate Hmm. anyway (laughs) positive note we'll stop here (laughs) thanks for listening and we'll see you guys in a couple weeks over now bye